0: Welcome to Good News for the Grand Valley, a podcast of Orwell Bible Church in Orwell, Ohio. You may or may not know that about two years ago, our church purchased a building we are currently renovating to use as our permanent meeting house. The Lord provided through the prayers and giving of His people to pay cash for it, and that was a great blessing because we do not want indebtedness. This year, we've done a lot of work on the renovation, and again, the Lord has provided for every penny. We are getting really close to finishing, but there's more work to be done. Would you pray with us that the Lord would be glorified in every step of the way? That we would be good witnesses to contractors and neighbors? That the Lord will strengthen our church through this project? And that he would graciously provide the finances we need? We really appreciate your doing so. If you'd like to see the progress in the building or drop us a line, just go to our website or our Facebook page. This episode is a message from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes given by Pastor Dan Greenfield during Orwell Bible Church's morning service on November 13, 2022. If you'd like, there's a link you can click on in this episode's description that will take you to a basic outline. You can learn more about Orwell Bible Church at our website, www.orwellbible.org. In Ecclesiastes three, sixteen to twenty-two, Solomon teaches that though sinners corrupt justice, believers trusting God's perfect justice can judiciously enjoy the results of their work. And take your Bibles. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter three. This is a very pertinent passage. That means applicable passage. Uh, For us today, it's often difficult to make sense of what's going on in our country, isn't it? Why are governors, why are legislators passing laws that result in the murder of innocent babies? It boggles our minds, doesn't it? What did they do? And so it can be easy to think, where are you, God? Keep following that train of thought. It can be easy to think, is this it? You can hear these echoes in this passage that we read in Ecclesiastes 3. Is this, as I put at the top of your page there, our lots in life? I grew up, um, my mom used this expression frequently. Oh, said a lot. <laughs> this is our lot in life. And you just kind of feel like, oh, I'm stuck with this. Is this it? Why bother? And so we read then in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. And we can ask, number one, I put it in quotes because this is what Solomon asks, and this can be the feeling of our heart, Lord, where's the justice? Lord, where is the justice? Remember, Solomon was king. And in every Israelite city and town, they had a system of judge, justice that the Lord set up They would sit in the gate and judgment would be passed by the city elders. Solomon was seeing that in the halls of justice, there was injustice, there was evil. He saw that instead of righteousness, there's wickedness. He's seeing that the innocent were condemned and the guilty are freed. And sadly, this would continue in Israel's history. You read in the book of Kings how a wicked king by the name of Ahab stole, used his power to get the vineyards of Naboth and killed Naboth. We also read how powerless widows and helpless orphans were left to fend for themselves while the powerful wicked had more money, more food, more palaces. If there's any place where we expect to see justice here in the United States, it's where? It's in the courtroom. But what are we seeing frequently in our courtrooms? Injustice. People grab power for themselves and they do whatever it takes to keep it. They use that power for themselves. And yet, what do we remember? Through all of Scripture, who created human government? God did. And what has God told us to do? The attitude to have? Romans 13, 1 Peter 3 or 5, can't remember exactly where. He says we are supposed to honor our governors. We're supposed to respect them those who are our governing authorities, even submit to them. On the back of your sheets, your handout, is a resolution that was passed a few weeks ago by the American Council of Christian Churches that very much applies to this point here. I'd like to read. It's a resolution on profane and blasphemous euphemisms. So I'll begin at the first paragraph. The phrase, Let's Go Brandon, was birthed on October 2, 2021, at Talladega Motor Speedway, when driver Brandon Brown won the Sparks 300 race. Although the crowd was yelling a vulgar chant against President Joe Biden, NBC reporter Kelly Stavis told viewers that Brown's fans were cheering, let's go Brandon! From that day on, Biden's critics began repeating the slogan in the place of the crude words, bumper stickers, t-shirts, flags, and other paraphernalia appeared with these words emblazoned on them. Even students, professing students, enrolled at the Evangelical Liberty University began chanting the expression at a home football game the following week. Let's go, Brandon, is a euphemism. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a euphemism is the substitution of an agreeable or inoffensive expression for one that may offend or suggest something unpleasant. Professing Christians who are uncomfortable uttering inappropriate words or phrases are increasingly comfortable with using substitutes for them. These words are expressed more frequently among those who associate themselves with Christ. Many who claim to follow Christ also use euphemisms in their sincere desire to keep from violating the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Instead of flagrantly taking God's name in vain, they utilize milder words. A good dictionary will reveal that each of these words and many others are slang references to deity, to who God is. Ephesians 4.29 instructs, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Corrupt refers to something that is putrid or rotten. It smells or tastes disgusting, like rotting meat or produce. Edifying, on the other hand, means to build up or improve. As christians speak and write, and we could also put in here, have bumper stickers and flags. God calls on them to inspire others toward godliness rather than to set a bad example. Ephesians 5.4 encourages neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Colossians 3 8 through 10 likewise commands us to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Furthermore, Colossians 4.6 exhorts, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye answer that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Therefore, the American Council of Christian Churches at its 81st Convention, October 25 to 27, 2022, at Faith Chapel, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, resolves that the use of sanitized words or phrases to communicate vulgar or blasphemous concepts is sinful. We exhort Christians to avoid using such euphemisms and to actively encourage other believers to do the same. One other thing that I might add to this is, think about if you're in doubt, you know, should I say this? Um, It's maybe a euphemism. Think about this. Would Jesus say that? Would this expression or this word come out of his lips? We need to have a Christ-like speech. And coming back to the passage here, it is seemingly a hard thing for us to grasp. An enigma, what Solomon calls vanity, to see what government is like, and yet God created it and we're supposed to submit to it. What is going on? What is going on? Christian, what do you need to know? And what do you need to remember? That brings us to verses to verse 17. Solomon says, in verse 17, "I said in my heart." He answers himself, "God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work." So the Lord answers in this way, number two, the Lord answers, "Justice is coming. Justice is coming." God will judge the righteous and the wicked. The beginning of the verse says there. God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. Hold your place here. Flip forward a few pages to chapter 8, verse 12. We'll see this is not the only place where Solomon will say this. Chapter 8, verse 12. Here Solomon says... Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before Him. And then over to chapter 12 and verse 14. The very last verse of this book. Chapter 12 and verse 14. God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or good. Or evil. I want to give you one more passage. The last book in the in the Old Testament, Malachi. Last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, chapter three, verse sixteen. So, won't you write write that down? Let's go over there. So, the book just before Matthew, your New Testament, last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, chapter three, verse sixteen. And I'll read through chapter 4, verse 3. Malachi three sixteen to 4, 3. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before the Lord, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on His name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall gain, then shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked before one who serves God and one who does not serve him for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven and all the proud. Yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. God will judge the wicked. Go back to Ecclesiastes 3.17. And he gives explanation about the timing of his judgment and the rest of verse 17. There is a time there for every purpose and for every work. When will God judge? Here's the answer. In his time. He is sovereign. He will do it when he chooses to do so. In his time, he will right every wrong. Christian, you need to understand verse 16. Sinners will corrupt God's institutions That's what sinners do. And you need to remember, verse 17, that God, in his time, he will uphold the righteous and he will condemn the wicked. But we can still have a question. Why does God continue to allow injustice to continue now? I want to see God do something now to these people. And we have in our eyes, in our minds, in our heads, what that judgment should look like. Well, God is judging. In verses 18 to 21, we see this in this summary. The Lord said, all men are like grass. Now, we're not going to read that expression here, are we? But we're seeing this truth here. All men are like grass. God continually proves to men. This is what we're going to see in these verses, 18 to 21. God continually proves to men that everyone is mortal. They are mortal. All men are like grass. Now, I'm not going to turn to these passages. I'd encourage you to write them down. But this is a theme that runs through the Bible, especially the Old Testament. First one, Job, verse eight, or Job chapter 8, verse 9. Job chapter 8, verse 9. We were born yesterday and know nothing because their days on earth are a shadow. Job 14, verse 2. 14, 2. <clears throat> he comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. Psalm 90, verses 5 and 6. Psalm 90, verses 5 and 6, the Psalm of Moses. He says, you carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they're like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it is cut down and withers. Psalm 102, verse 11. Psalm 102, verse 11. The psalmist says, my days are like a shadow that lengthens and I wither away like grass. Psalm 103, verses 15 to 16. Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. One more from the psalmist. Psalm 144, verse 4. Psalm 144, verse 4. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Hey, there's something to really make a strong man feel, you know, bring him down to size. What do you really like? <sighs> That's it. You're gone. You're like a breath. A couple more. Isaiah 40, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 40, verses 6 and 7. The voice crying out in the wilderness. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I Cry. All flesh is grass. All its loveliness is like the flower of the field. What happens to the grass? It withers. The flower fades. Because the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. One more. James 1, verse 10. James 1, verse 10. The rich. What do the rich more often than not glory in? How much they have who they are, their position. But James says, believing rich people should glory in their humiliation because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. God allows sinners to continue in their sin as his judgment now on them. And by doing so, three things we need to see happen here. Verse 18. I said in my heart concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. Number one, God causes men to see their mortality. He causes men to see their, their, their mortality. He tests them that they may see that they are, themselves are like animals. The important word is they're like. This is not saying there's no ultimate difference between people and animals. Is there an ultimate difference? Absolutely. We're made in God's image. This is looking at men and beasts, men and animals from the sake from the, from the point of view of just mere appearance. From mere appearance. We live. animals live, we die, animals die. What's the difference? And the unbeliever? is convinced of that. There's really little difference. How does God-men cause them to see their mortality? Number two, man believes his existence is the same as animals. Man believes his existence is the same as animals. Again, from the point of view of just mere appearance, verses 19 to 20. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them, as one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all return to the dust. So from appearance's sake, man is just like the animals in three ways. Three ways, you see here. Number one, just like the animals, everyone will die. Just like the animals, everyone will die. Beginning of verse 19. What happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. As one die, so dies the other. From Adolf Hitler, an evil man, to Norman Greenfield, who fought against Hitler and the D Day invasions in Northern Africa, a righteous man. But both what? Died. From the murdering lions to your pet cat, what happens? They both die, don't they? Just like animals, everyone will die from appearances' sake. Number two, the breath of life. Three words for your blank there. The breath of life will leave every being. This is what is meant in the last part of verse 19. Surely they all have one breath: the breath of life. Write down, Genesis 7, verses 22 to 23, to help us see this, that, that uh, spirit, if you will, of life. Genesis 7: 22 and 23. This is describing the flood and how much of the earth did the flood affect? All of it. And what did it kill? Genesis 7:22 and23 tells us, all in whom the breath, all in whose nostrils the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on dry land died. He destroyed all living things that were on the face of the ground. man and cattle, creeping things and the birds of the air, they were destroyed. Their life was taken from them. Number three. Every living being will become dust. Verse 20. All are from the dust and all return to the dust. And you scratch your head, boy, that sounds familiar. Who said that? Hundreds of years, thousands of years before that? God did. Where did God say that? In the Garden of Eden. Who did God say this to? Adam and Eve. From dust you are and to dust you will return. Our, materi- our bodies, material substances, nourished by plants and meats, throw in a little water, keep things held together and going, that's what our bodies are. And what's going to happen to this body after our, number two, our breath leaves, that animating spirit? This body will dissolve. This is a gross illustration. I'm just going to give you a heads up right now. I go for a half hour walk every day. I go on the same route every day. See, that's boring. It's a great way to build relationships with people. I have interesting talks with people. I meet usually at the same time, at the same place with regularity. Over the course of the last few months, there have been animals that have died on the side of the road. And as I walk by, you know that animal doesn't stay the same. It starts to shrink. It starts to dissolve, you. That's gross. And after I walk over it, now it's just the faintest the faintest thing that's left of that animal right now. I know it was there because I've been watching it decay and dissolve over the past weeks. Anybody else seeing it? They wouldn't have thought a thing about it. Soon it will be a little stain and then completely forgotten. And guess what happens to our bodies? Pretty much the same thing. Death is God's curse on sinful humanity and God is Death is God's curse on sinful humanity and it is God's curse on all creation, everyone dies. Adam died, and if you have a watch with a second hand, every second in this world, 1.8 people die on average. Because there's no such thing as a 0. 0.8 of a person, right? We could say almost every second, two people die. Four, six, eight, ten, twelve. Just like that. People are dying. Why? Because of sin. Every animal dies. Man believes his existence is the same as animals. And so they speak of death as part of life, it's natural. He died a peaceful death. He died a good death. Folks, there's nothing good about it. Number three, man knows nothing about the afterlife. Man knows nothing about the afterlife. This is the point of verse 21. Who knows that the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth. The idea of the statement is, man doesn't know about the hereafter. He's ignorant about it. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him after he dies. And you might say, no, that's not true, Pastor. We know, and I'm going to say, yeah, hold that thought. Why do you know? We know because who's told us? God has told us. Man of himself doesn't know. He doesn't He thinks he knows, but he doesn't. And that way, man thinks he's just like the animals. This is all they know. This is all that they live for. And maybe they might think, I have some kind of advantage over the animals because I'll have an afterlife maybe, but the animal won't. But both will die and neither know their future. Why don't people know about the afterlife? You can't see it. You can't experience it until what? You die. It's not something that can be perceived, tested, or experienced. Sinners corrupt God's institutions of judgment, of justice. God, we saw in number two, will judge sinners. We see here that God judges sinners through death and ignorance. And so this brings us to you and I, Christian. Knowing these things, number four, you must judiciously, that's the 25 cent word of the day, number four, judiciously enjoy your accomplishments in life. Verse 22. So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. That is his heritage. Your heritage is what is, listen carefully, is what is allotted to you. What's the center three letters there? L O T. Your what in life? Your lot in life, and that's how it is translated in some English translations. It is your lot. This is talking about your work and the fruits that come from it. You can only enjoy the things of this life in this life. And God has given those to you to enjoy them. Now what affects our enjoyment of them? Thorns and thistles, and tiredness and pain, and the sin of others. But, Christian, God has given them so that you can gratefully enjoy them. You also need to remember from this passage and the rest of Ecclesiastes, you are accountable to God. You are accountable to God, He is the judge. And so that's why I chose this word, you must judiciously enjoy your accomplishments in life. What does judiciously mean? It means wisely. You don't live for that. It's a gift of God that comes as a result of your work. Wisely. The fear of the Lord, submitting and trusting to Him, loving Him and Him alone. Let's look at two other passages to help us see this because Solomon's going to touch on this again. Chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes, verses 9 and 10. Solomon comes to the conclusion of 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 his book here and he says in 11, verses 9 and 10, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth! Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart. Put away evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are fleeting their vanity. And then go to chapter 12, verses 13 to 14. Chapter 12, 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Christian, judiciously enjoy the accomplishments that you realize in this life. Solomon is saying this truth. That's a little finger-pointing thing there, the big idea, the main point of this passage here. Though sinners corrupt justice, Believers trusting, believers trusting God's perfect justice can judiciously enjoy the results of their work. You are going to see justice perverted in this world. It's a sin what world? Cursed world. It's going to happen. What do you need to remember? God will judge them. God is judging them. He's blinding their eyes to spiritual realities and to eternal truths. And Christian, trust in the Lord. You can judiciously enjoy the benefits of life. Some truths and applications. Back to chapter 3. I mentioned in verse 21, this teaches no human being by themselves has absolute knowledge about the afterlife. The only one who has that knowledge is God. God. And people are 100%... Dependent on God for that information. And no one can prove God wrong. God says this about the afterlife. The moment you die, there are only two destinations. Heaven or hell. That's it. And once you die and God sends you to one or the other, based on your relationship to him, you are there forever and there's no changing your location there's a heaven and there's a hell the only thing that you can do is believe what god has said in his word in chapter 12 verse 7 solomon says the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to god who gave it second point of application You know what, friend? You can live like there's no tomorrow. Live it up. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Live for now. Not judiciously, but whatever makes you feel good, whatever you think is good. You can live like that. You can live like there will be no judgment. You might never say that. You might give the correct doctrinal thing. Yeah, I know I'm going to stand before God, but your life shows something completely different. The direction that your mind runs, the things that you do online, whatever it is, whatever you imagine, you're living contrary to what you say. You're living as if there is no judgment. But there is an eternity There is a judgment, and the one who will judge you is the infinite and perfect God. Infinite, he knows everything. You can fool everyone here, you will not fool God. And he's perfect. That means he's without any failure, any fault, any sin. He perfectly sees, he will perfectly assess you. Your real feelings, your true motivations, your hidden actions. So, ignoring God. You might think you're not ignoring God because you're here right now. But you ignore God with your life. But ignoring God, pretending He doesn't exist, this is the stupidest thing you could ever do. It is the most foolish thing you could ever do. Because there is a God. He made you. He will judge you. And he's the only one who can save you. You have to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to flee from your sins and look to the Lord Jesus alone. One last point of application. Because of God's curse on this world, Christian, that does affect your enjoyment of the things of this world, doesn't it? God's curse in the world does affect your enjoyment of it. But yet, through Christ, you know what you can do with your work? Through Christ, in your work, you can please Him. Colossians Colossians 3.23 You do your work as to the Lord. We do not have a single slave here. Now, you might say your boss is a taskmaster and you feel like a slave and just kind of hold. But you know what? That's not true because guess what you can do with your job? you can quit. Paul in Colossians 3 was writing to slaves. They had no freedom. And Paul said to them, the Lord Jesus said to them, do your work as unto the Lord and not unto men. And by doing so, you please the Lord. A Christ-like spirit and attitude Because of your sin nature, because of sinful habits that you might have, you might have a tendency to respond negatively to the things of life. And you can always find something wrong. The best thing could happen, but you'll find that little cloud, won't you? Instead of looking for the silver lining, you're looking for the bullets. You know it's there. I'm going to find it. Always something to complain about. Is that living by faith? That's living by what? Sight. I am not saying be Pollyannish about it and pretend nothing bad exists. There's a lot of bad that exists. But because of Christ, that changes your outlook. It should change your perception. It should change your attitude. Think of Paul and Silas in jail. They were beaten, they didn't have their wounds taken care of, they were wrongly imprisoned. Injustice! But what did they do at midnight? They sang praise to the Lord, and they prayed to God. Think of the Lord Jesus on the cross. If there was ever injustice, it was there, wasn't it? But in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, we read this. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen to this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls Christian when you're troubled about wrong being right Trust the Lord. He will right every wrong. And be faithful. Be faithful in your lot and life. Let's pray.